I recently uh, spoke Friday at Lindsay Lane Christian Academy to a bunch of uh, little people. And whew, it's, you know, it's actually a lot more difficult to, to break things down to their level than it is to talk you know, these, these high terms and big terms like we do oftentimes uh, here. Um, it'd, be, it'd be the same difference between you know, explaining what you do at work to your four-year-old and them understanding it uh, than telling me. And most of us still don't understand what some of you do. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, it'd be kind of a ridiculous practice. But, um, you know, in breaking it down, it is, is very difficult. Today's text is one that has been really brought to us by Matthew alone. So, if you'll turn to the Gospel of Matthew, he's the only one who records this. Uh, that does not, however, mean it is unimportant. Uh, he places it at the beginning of his book. As soon as he finishes with the genealogy and the birth of Jesus, he marches right into this story of the wise men and their encounter with our Lord. Notice these words here found in Matthew chapter 2. These ancient words that have been handwritten for many, many years until publications were made of it and finds its way to your lap uh, this morning, to your ears. Hear these words. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw His star when it rose, and have come to worship Him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet, quote, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Quote. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship Him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, His mother. And they fell down and worshipped Him. Then opening their treasures, they offered Him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Let us pray. Jesus, thank You so much for Your holy Word. Thank You, Jesus, that You met these wise men. May we meet them in some way this morning and may it change us as it changed them 
when they met you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, we tend to move uh, where we're looking. In other words, you tend to typically go where it is your head is looking. So in other words, you don't really walk looking to the left and going straight ahead. That's going to be disastrous, right? Um, Maybe the best illustration for this is watching T-ball, which will be starting up very soon. You can come see some of this action if you want with our children. Uh, When the little tapper hits the ball, boom. First of all, it's a surprise that he hits it. Uh, He's extremely surprised by this. Uh, then he can't get his eyes off of the ball. You've seen this happen, right? They're looking at the ball, and what they inevitably do is by looking at the ball, they run to the ball. And you're like, no, 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 first base is over here. It doesn't matter what you're screaming. They're locked into that ball. They're going to run wherever the ball goes and try to pick it up, which is technically an out, but as an umpire, which I was uh, for many years, uh, you don't really call them out in T-ball. You just say, hey, buddy, you know, you push to go this way, you know. Uh, And so, you know, you look at what you're moving toward. And so, really, the question posed today, and even uh, here for these wise men, were, what were they really looking for? What are you really looking for or at? Where is your gaze fixed? Because inevitably, wherever you're looking, that's where you're going to move toward. Um, You've heard it said before that to... You know, not plan is ultimately to plan to fail. Um, And so we want to do some things up front in the new year that make, that really set our gaze to where it needs to be. Really help us to set our focus to where we want to move to. Uh, Maybe some of you in reassessing things over over the holiday break, uh, you realize that you really would not like to do certain things this year. Uh, that you would like to add some things to uh, your new year in 2015. Well, if we are to do that and move in the right direction, you have to have vision. You have to set in motion your gaze. It's the same thing with driving, isn't it? You know, if you see somebody looking out the window this way and driving that way, that's dangerous. You're like, man, what's wrong with you? And many of us sometimes find ourselves looking out the window at other things when in fact we should be looking straight ahead. We should be on the road ahead. And ultimately what we end up doing is finding ourselves in ditches that we don't want to be in, roads that we don't want to be going down, and getting ourselves into all sorts of troubles, distractions. We talked about this last week the mobile devices that we have can become very distractive to us. They don't have to be, but they can become that. But it's not just mobile devices. It's even the good things in our life sometimes that can become distractive to us. Uh, You know, it's been said before that uh, power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. Lord Acton. Well, I would say also comfort corrupts. And absolute comfort destroys us absolutely. And so if we are very comfortable and just kind of cruising along, doing our thing, not really paying much attention, what will ultimately happen is we'll find ourselves in a wreck. That's why we must stay focused. When you're driving, you want to stay focused. That's one of the things 
that makes for a good driver is they are focused on what is at hand. Uh, you know, every time I get in the car, I try to do my best at driving, primarily because I don't want to die. I don't want to kill someone else. And so, therefore, I try to do my best at using signals and driving through traffic. And so, too, if we're going to be Christian in this year, if we're going to be Christ-like, in other words, then we must set our gaze to where it needs to be. We must focus on what is at hand before us. And so, you know, we have many distractions that can distract us from what is uh, the road before us. But we should not be distracted. Instead, make an investment. Make an investment of your time. Just say to yourself, just like, just like we're told in the, uh, you know, dry, uh, what do they call it? Texting campaigns, you know, you know, don't, what is it? It can wait, right? Isn't that what they call it? It can wait, you know. And so can the other things in our life that seem to take priority over the things of God. Uh, you know, it's really basic stuff, and yet we need to be reminded of these things. It's why we have to have church 52 times a year is because we need to remind each other of what we're supposed to be about. You know, this is, C.S. Lewis talks about it being kind of the secret communication between us and, and the boss, the commander. You know, we're kind of behind enemy lines and we come to church and we get secret messages about what we need to be doing in order to overthrow the enemy and bring in the kingdom of God. Well, yeah, that's, that's basically what's going on here this morning is we're reminding each other. We're all living behind enemy lines. Haven't you noticed? I mean, this is not our home. And it's a good thing that you are tired of the news, tired of bad news, tired of the things going on in the world that are awful. And it's a good thing that you're tired of that because this is not our home. This is not where we are to be. We are ushering in the kingdom of God. We are on the front lines. And we need to remind each other of that. Because sometimes it doesn't feel like it, does it? You know, I've, uh, I've read, you know, I've never been to war. But I've read plenty of books about war and people who have gone to war. And one of the dangers, it seems, is you can get comfortable, sort of, with how things are going. And you forget that you're actually in enemy territory. This is not your home. You cannot relax. You know, get down, get down, what are you doing? You know, um... I watched a documentary recently uh, about battles in Afghanistan where, you know, it was just day-to-day getting gunfire and, and people just started getting relaxed. And like, guys, listen, we cannot get relaxed here. This is, you, as soon as you get relaxed, you, you're dead. And, you know, in our Christian life, you may not want to hear it, but you cannot get relaxed. It's not good to snuggle in. That's not where we need to be. That's like saying, get relaxed while you're driving. Yeah, I'll just take a nap real quick. That'll help. <laughs> No, that's not going to help. Um, you know, while you're driving, it's not good to go to sleep uh, at the will. And neither is it in our Christian life. We must... You notice how many times the Bible says, you must stay vigilant. You must wake up. Stay awake. Um, that doesn't mean, mean don't get good sleep at night. It means in our Christian life, we must always be on the march. We must always understand we are in a war. We're in a battle for our very soul and the souls of those around us. There's much work to be done. And we must be about that work. And it's a good work. It's not something that we are going to be weighed down by. It can be joyful to be on the right road. The, what the Isaiah says, the highway of holiness. You know, these wise men, 
here. And we don't, you know, it, there's plenty of tradition to go around to explain maybe who they were, where they were from. Many people think some were from, one was from Africa, another was Persian, and maybe another was from India, uh, which, is, which is an interesting uh, take on the three guys. We say there are three, even though three are not mentioned here, because of the three gifts. Maybe there were more. We don't really know. But traditionally, it's been thought of that they, these guys were actually three kings. They were coming to worship a king, and yet they, as kings, bowed down before the king of kings. They even recognized that this king that was born was special enough to take a year or maybe even two-year journey. I mean, to go from Persia all the way over to here would have been about a year for them to travel, especially with an entourage. It even, it even slows things down even more. If they were truly kings, they had these gifts which seemed to maybe be, mean they were kings, uh, it would have even been a longer process. Jesus was probably two years old when they got to the house. They saw His star. Uh, you, you, you remember seeing it? But then they didn't see it always. It arose, they said. And so that's why Herod had to inquire from them when they actually saw the star. Uh, so it wasn't, you know, we, we, when we're setting up the nativity scene, we show it all together just for convenience sake. But really, it's a, it's a separated event here. He's probably a toddler sitting on his mother's lap, uh, much like Ty is this morning. You know, they come to worship the baby Jesus. Uh, that's, that's quite an image, isn't it? That these kings in their regalia, with their gifts, would bow down before the king of kings and the Lord of Lords, uh, all based on this star they saw. In other words, their focus was finding this king, and so their gaze went to the heavens. Now, I understand that pagans, that you know, polytheists worship the stars. Uh, but here you have polytheists from a different nation. And this is the real beauty here. Don't, don't lose this. Polytheists who are seeking after a king and they actually find one by reading the stars. Now that's, that's kind of a scary thing, isn't it? I mean, to me as a world religion teacher, I'm saying, well, hang on, that shouldn't legitimize, right? Worshiping the stars or reading the stars, you know. Of course it doesn't. But I think the point here is this star is very unique. We, we really, uh, you know... Astrology-wise, we don't know about this star. We, we don't have any records of some special star. There are some occurrences of stars, if you, if you look into it, where they appear and they don't ever appear again. Maybe this was that occurrence. Maybe it was an angel. We're not really told. We're just simply told this is a unique star that led them straight to Jesus, who is the King of Kings. And so, you know, Matthew records here for us a very fascinating story that really intersects our life uh, this morning, I think, in this one way, and that is these wise men were focused on finding Jesus. And you see the application is very clear for us. We too must be focused on finding Jesus. You say, why does He have to be found? I mean, if He wants me, He should just appear. That's not where relationships work, is it? I mean, when I was looking for a wife, I didn't just say, well, you know, somebody wants to marry me, they just need to appear. It's not really the way you get married. Instead, there is some work to relationships, isn't there? 
There has to be a time investment. There has to be a place meeting. I mean, this is why oftentimes, you know, when you meet somebody, you, I'm celebrating my anniversary. Oh, where'd you guys meet? That's one of the first questions we ask. Why? Because meeting places are important. That first meeting, I can tell you where it was. It was at my dad's church in the youth room uh, where I saw Jessica and positioned myself right in front of her so she wouldn't miss me. You see, I didn't just sit in the back and say, well, man, you know, if she wants to get married to me, I guess she's going to be on her. No, no, I positioned myself directly in front of her on purpose. And uh, you see the result. So, shouldn't we do that with Jesus? If we want Him, we should position ourselves right with Him, right in front of Him, in the ways that He's offered for us to do, such as baptism, such as the Lord's Supper, such as going to church, such as reading the Bible, such as praying to God, carving out time for God. That's how you get upfront and personal with Jesus Christ. If you want to meet Jesus, you can. If you want to know Him more, you can. That's the good news of the Gospel, is He's made Himself available to us. You say, well, yeah, but I mean, don't you just wish, Marshall, that that we could be back in time with the disciples. I mean, they could see Him. They could touch Him. They could smell Him when He walked by. Just like, you know how when somebody walks by, you can smell... I mean, they had all the senses going. They experienced Him in a physical way. You say, man, it would really help me if that was the case. And I too long for that type of meeting. But I remember the encounter that Thomas has. Don't you? Thomas said, look, guys, seriously. Y'all are saying he's coming through the wall? He's dead, man. I haven't seen him. I won't believe unless I touch. Unless I see. And in through the wall walks Jesus. Ta-da! And says, touch here, Thomas. And touch here. Do you know how painful that would have been for Thomas? To eat his own... I mean, you've eaten your own words before, right? I'll never do that. Oh, well, there you are. You did it, didn't you? Well, here is Thomas having to touch the wounds of his Lord because he said, I will never believe unless... And Jesus says, okay, touch here. Touch here. You know he did it with tears in his eyes, I'm sure. And when he does it, Jesus says something to him. He says... Thomas, I'm glad that you believed because you saw. But blessed are those who do not see and yet believe. That's me. That's us. That gets me excited because blessed are us who choose to believe. You don't have to. God is not going to make you believe any more than I made Jessica love me. That's not how relationships work. No relationship works in that way. I mentioned a book weeks ago uh, by, I couldn't remember his name, but Viktor Frankl. And he's the one who was in the concentration camp who said, and I'll repeat it again, he said, the one thing the Nazis could never make us do was love them. They could make us do all kinds of atrocities, all kinds of evils, but they could never make us love them. Only you own that love that's in your heart. Last week I introduced an image 
The, the Bible often talks about heart. And it doesn't mean the palpitating organ in your chest. Instead, it means the control center. But I've got a new, newly revised illustration that I'm going to start using. I'm going to introduce it to you first. The unveiling. Uh, that I'll also subsequently use millions of times after this, probably. Think of your heart. When the Bible says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Think of it as the operating system. I mean, we all, have, we all work with these operating systems, right? Now, that's, the operating system is not the whole computer from what I understand. But instead, it helps to operate all the different processes within the computer. Now, you didn't create your own body, but you are the operating system. You control this body now that has been given to you. It was a gift from God and from your parents. And now you are the operator. Therefore, at that operating level, operating system level, it's big time, a little couple dashes in there, um, that's where you got to love God. He can't just be another app in your phone. Oh, I've got to make time for Jesus real quick, along with everything. No, no. He must be in all of the processes of your day. Amen. Now, that's big time. That means that when you go to work, you don't turn off the... The Christian thing. You don't turn off the praying thing. Yes, you can pray and work without having to close your eyes and whatnot. You can drive and pray. This is a good thing uh, that you don't have to close your eyes always. I mean, some, you know, a lot of times uh, my house is filled with noise. Uh, most all the time until after about 7.30 and then it starts quieting down. Uh, when I leave the house... It's actually a peaceful time not to listen to music. Like, no words. I don't want to hear more noise a lot of times. I just cut everything off. And for 20 minutes in my commute to the college, I pray. I pray. Uh, that is quiet time with God. And instead of filling ourselves with more apps, and sometimes you have to go through and delete these things because it bogs down the operating system, doesn't it? You get my drift here? Sometimes we need to delete some things from our life in order to let the operating system run smoothly. And it's not going to with all these distractions, all these unnecessary things. And at the base level, the heart level, we must have God's love, God's life in how we respond to every person. We don't turn it off. That's the thing, you know... And um, it's the same thing with marriage. I mean, you know, you hate to keep using the same kind of illustrations, but um, they work. <laughs> uh, one, one preacher, he was new at a church, and he, uh, he came and preached a message, and everybody's like, oh, yes, that's right on. I like this guy. You know, he said, he's probably going to work out pretty well for us, you know. Boy, come back next Sunday, preach the same message. And I said, oh, okay, well, maybe, you know, maybe he just uh, forgot or, you know, just doesn't have much content, you know, yet. He'll bring it up. Third Sunday, did the same thing, preached the exact same message. So finally, somebody got up the nerve, you know, four Sunday, preached the same message, four times in a row. They said, uh, hey, uh, one of the elders said, hey, what's, what's, what do you think is going on here? Are you going to change it up a little bit? You know, he said, well, as soon as you start doing it, I'll quit preaching it. <laughs> so anyway, sometimes you have to use the same things until we actually do them. Uh, but it's just like a marriage. You know, at first, when you meet that person, you're not married. You're just dating. And they, uh, they're not your life. 
they're not in all the processes of your life. You, you're trying to get them in all those processes. You, you act like you want them in all those processes, but ultimately they're not. But once you've been married for 10 years, there's not hardly any... I, don't, I can't think of many things that, that I do that Jessica's not a part of. In other words, when I go somewhere, even on a trip to India, she's still a part of all of that. So too must God be. It doesn't mean that you have to stay on your knees in your room all day. God forbid, that's not what He wants for you. You don't need to run off to the desert or to the woods to find God. No, you go to work. You have your friends. You do your hobbies. You do your work and your play. And God is a part of all of that. Just as your wife is. Just as your friends are. In here, you do not forget about Him. And so easily, though, we forget. So easily we get bogged down. We get distracted. And so we must refocus. Just as the wise men here, they did a year or two journey. Just think about it. That's an investment, isn't it? And you have to topple on top of all this the fact that when people traveled in the ancient world, you could have died. There wasn't local hospitals everywhere. So, no, you took the kitchen sink with you when you went somewhere. And so it was very dangerous. So I'm saying that wise men, they focused on the star and they made an investment to find Jesus. If you really want to know Jesus, you've got to do those two things. Focus. Turn your gaze upward. I promise you, the light of the world will lead you to Himself. Amen. And you must make that investment. And the last thing I just want to offer this morning about these wise men is they brought gifts to God. And so must we. When we meet Him, when we know God, when He saves us, when He forgives us, justifies us, regenerates us, makes us alive. We don't just sit back and say, thanks a lot, really appreciate that, I'm going to get back to life now. I got that done. No, no, that's the beginning. That's the marriage. What comes after is the awesome part. It's the work part. And so we must get to work. We must offer our gifts to God. Now, in offering our gifts to God, it's much like when I go upstairs and the boys are playing. I say, all right, let me join in here, guys. They're playing Ninja Turtles. All right, Daddy, I'll let you be this. I almost start chuckling. I'm like, son, who do you think bought Raphael? Who do you think bought Michelangelo? Oh, see, you going to work every day. You're going to let me play? I'll, I'll play with all of them myself. You know, I start turning. I just, I don't actually tell them that, but I, I think that sometimes. And you know what? I can't help but think, isn't that like us and God? We say, oh, look, Lord, look what I'm doing. I'm preaching for you on Sunday. Man, I studied so much during the week and, and, and really prepared this. You know, look at what I'm doing for you, God. Well, what do you mean? I gave you all of that. I gave you your life, your voice, your time, your position. No, we don't pat ourselves on the back, but we offer our gifts freely. Freely. No strings attached. Not, not, not in the sense of, hey, I'm going to do this. I'll keep preaching as long as you keep blessing me. No, no, no. Even when things go down the pot, we still give. That's tough. But that's the nature of this thing. When things go to pot in a marriage, you give. You forgive. You don't just give up, throw in the towel. That's the beautiful thing about marriage is you've been through those times where you could have thrown in the towel and you didn't. Praise be to God. 
We go through those times as a Christian. If this is a marriage, it's going to be tough at times. It's going to be dry at times. It's not always going to be you know, joyous and happy-go-lucky. It's going to be walking through the valley of the shadow of death sometimes. But the good news is that we do not have to fear any evil. For His rod, His staff, they comfort us. Psalm 23. And so we offer our gifts as the wise men offered theirs. Now their gifts are kind of a little bit of interesting uh, traditional debate too. Gold kind of represents the fact that he was a king, traditionally speaking. Um, The frankincense meant he was sacred deity or focused on his humanity, who he was welcoming someone into the world. Uh, And then the myrrh was for burial, which is really kind of interesting that they would offer that uh, as a gift if truly that traditionally meant that. We're not told here what it means. But if it meant that, then even here we have a toddler who already is destined to go to the cross. And here he's getting gifted for that journey. That's quite a thought. Um, I know some of you are into essential oils. Well, the wise men offered essential oils to Jesus. So there you go. That ought to be a selling plug for you. Just thought I'd offer that for free. I don't get any royalties from that, but you know, uh, here they've got some essential oils going for Jesus. Um, and so, you know, here's the thing. If we want to be wise, then we're going to seek Jesus. Because the wise men sought Jesus. How'd they do it? They fixed their gaze, their focus on the light, the star that shone brightly in the sky. And we must do the same. If we're going to be the light of the world, we are reflected light. We don't generate the light ourselves. As I've said before, we're more like the moon. We reflect the light of the sun. S-O-N. Had they do it? Well, they sought His face by making an investment in a journey. This thing of being a Christian is not a one-time thing. It's not a one-event thing. No more than your marriage is. If you view your marriage as a one-time thing, back whenever it happened, that's not much of a marriage. It is a continual event, time, and place, and experience kind of thing. And so must our relationship with Jesus be. We must be seeking new experiences, not living off old ones. We must continually be renewed by His Holy Spirit. We do, after all, believe in the Holy Spirit. And we must keep our eyes on Him. Instead of watching the ball like the little t-ballers do, we need to watch the coach. The coach being our advocate, Jesus Christ. Because what He'll be telling us to do is come on home. He's got the signal. You ever seen those, those third base coaches? You know, they, they some, I can unbutton my suit here. They have to, they have to sometimes get into their, They're doing this number. Oh, God. Yeah, that means you got the green light, right? I'd love to do that. If I was a coach, I'd do that. <laughs> I'm not a coach, but... Uh, I can't help but think today that Jesus, if we could see Him, He hears us talking about Him. If we could see Him, I think He he would be saying to us, go on, go on home. Home is where we're headed. We got the green light, if we'll go. But instead, we're watching what we're we're doing. We're watching what we're doing. What we did. Oh, I hit the ball. Look what I did. No, no, don't look at yourself. Look at the coach. That's the hardest thing for baseball players to, to understand in Little League. Trust me, we're about to go through it again. Gotta watch the coach. Watch the coach. 
He's rooting you on. He is your friend. He is there to help you and guide you. He sees the whole playing field. You don't. That's good news. That's good news for everybody in this room this morning is we got a coach that loves us, that wants to help us and direct us in the way that we need to go. And sometimes the answer is stop. We need to listen to that. We need to hear that. So this morning, I will end with the way I began, and that is, what are you really looking at? Because whatever you've been looking at, that's where you're going to move toward. So let's look to Jesus. Amen.